so as promised, uh, I am going to uh, talk to you about the uh, upcoming transition. Uh, we announced this about a year ago, uh, that in the fall that uh, Doug and I would be transitioning. And what that means is that uh, Doug will uh, assume the position of lead pastor, and I'm going to take the role of executive pastor. Uh, so let me, let, me, let me just clarify. On September, uh, I guess it's the 13th. Is it the 13th or 17th? 14th. The 14th? Yeah, all right. It's one of those days. Uh, three weeks from now, uh, I'll be, or maybe four weeks from now, uh, I'll be passing the baton to Doug. And Kelly says, that's a little cheesy. She says, the only way that I will let, I'll let Doug receive the baton as if, as if he chases me around the room. That's what she said. So look forward to that. Mark that on your calendar. I'll be running. And if he can catch me, he'll get it, all right? So, so what, 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 is, what does this all look like? So we, we planned this about five years ago. I can't believe that five years has passed already. We uh, first started talking about this, and uh, last year, about a year ago, we crystallized uh, the, the plans as to what it should look like, and uh, we actually uh, entered into uh, a covenant agreement, Doug and I and the elders. Uh, we signed on the dotted line, and, and we put some of those details in place because it's, it's good to do that. Uh, so I will be, uh, I will, you know, it used to be years ago that you were the senior pastors, and, and that kind of, that's old school, so now it's the lead pastor, and I'm I'm the executive pastor, exclusively the executive pastor, whatever that means. No, I'll be, I'll be still uh, doing the administration, the business part of, of the church. Uh, where's Andrew? Okay, Andrew, I want you to know I'm still the one that's writing the checks. My eyes are on you. I did this to him the other night at a wedding. We were, uh, I, I was just kind of teasing him, and I went like this. I'm watching you. And he said, why? why? I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> He's a great guy. But I just love to tease him. So, uh, so, so that, that, that's what it's going to look like. I, I'm going to uh, be speaking uh, occasionally. Uh, we have uh, set up uh, an actual schedule of uh, my preaching. Uh, and so I, I, but but I, I'm mostly looking forward to uh, new avenues of, of, of ministry and new opportunities to... Uh, to, to share the, the importance of Christ and, and to explain the heart of the gospel. And so as, as we wait on the Lord for new uh, opportunities, we're excited about that. So, so it's, it's time for a new page uh, and a new chapter uh, in our lives. And so as we prepare to do this, let me just, let me just give you a little bit of uh, history of where we've been. Uh, we started uh, the church, that is, my wife and I started the church uh, three and a half decades ago. It's a little more than 35 years ago. We started in our living room. We didn't have to move any of the furniture out of our living room because we didn't have any furniture in the living room. We were just poor folk, you know. And all we needed was some chairs and, and a Bible, and, and, and that's the way we started. We started with a group of people. And uh, from there, we, uh, we rented a, a, a little uh, building on Lake Avenue uh, twice a week, $15 a service. Could you believe that, $15 a service? And uh, we then, about two years later, found this property and bought this property, and, you know, every, and then the rest is, is history. So, so uh, 
One of the great things about, about starting a ministry from the beginning, and, and I love this verse from, it's, uh, I don't have it up on the screen, but it's Zechariah 4, 4.10. It says, despise not the day of small things. And, and that was our attitude. We, we did not despise small beginnings or small things. And God has certainly blessed us uh, since then. We have uh, a facility that's probably... Uh, worth about one point. Well, we insure it for $1.8 million. And so uh, God has indeed blessed us over the years. We have, uh, in 35 plus years, uh, we've cried a lot. We've laughed a lot more. Uh, we've ministered to a lot of people. We've baptized new believers. We, we dedicated babies. We, we, we married couples. In fact, we, we even married couples of babies that we dedicated. Uh, so we've been around long enough. And uh, unfortunately, well, sweetly, uh, sweet sorrow, we also have uh, had an opportunity to bury uh, those that have gone on to be with the Lord who are very important parts uh, of uh, this ministry as well. Like the Apostle Paul, I could say, I thank, I thank my God for he considered me faithful, appointing me to this ministry. Uh, we've been cared for by this church. We've been loved and we've been supported and we've been enriched by this church. And uh, there's a number of you that are here uh, that have been with me for years and years and years, for almost as long as, as we, we began the ministry. Uh, I, I've watched you grow up. I've, I've watched how God has added to your families and, and uh, how the Lord has blessed you. I've... Uh, have uh, three sisters who are uh, a part of this church. Is, is Josie here? She's, she's here. Uh, she's been with me for a long, long time. Uh, my other sister, Marie, has gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, but Anne, who is uh, away right now, she's, she's 18 years older than me, uh, my sister Anne. And, and my sister Josie, can I say, she's 13 years older than me. And, and my my sister Marie was 10 years older than me. And, and, and that, that has a relevance that I'll, I'll explain that to you in just a few minutes. But, but I just want to thank some of the members of my family for their support of the ministry. Coming and working alongside of us, my, my son Anthony, who's one of the elders in the church. Uh, it's kind of weird, but, but I, I never know how to refer to Shannon because she's, she's more than my daughter-in-law. She's, she's my daughter and I would have adopted her, but that would have been weird. That would have been like my, my son being married to my sis, uh, his, his sister. So, so that doesn't work, you know. Uh, but uh, they faithfully served in, in so many different capacities of the church. And, and I, I've got, I've got uh, nieces, the two Marias, who, who've been with me from back in the, when we were in the Legion Hall. And before they, when they were single, and now they're married, and they have children, and Pretty soon, well, some of their children are getting married, or Joey's married, and, and uh, Joe Lucci's a, a, one of the elders of our church, and so is Frank Edwards, who served faithfully. I want to just thank them so much for their, their love and their support, and, and so many of you who've been here week after week and have encouraged us and, and have loved us, we are, we are very grateful. So it's time for us to write a new uh, page, uh, one hopefully that will continue to bear uh, fruit for, uh, fruit in, and uh, I'm making way for a younger man uh, who is going to carry the ministry uh, further and deeper than uh, we have in the past, hence the idea of, of the baton being relayed. When I, 
when I, when I think of Doug, and by the way, let me, let me mention this about Kelly because she's, she's my daughter. In fact, the, the, reason why, the, the reason why this transition is so easy is because we both love the same woman. See? But I want you to know, Doug, I have loved her first. I have loved her longest. And I was the one who sent her the first bouquet of roses. So beat you on that score as well, okay? But we both love the same woman. And, and let me just say this, that, that when a man ca- is called into the ministry, God calls his wife as well, and they become partners in ministry. And, and Kelly is an amazing uh, preacher, speaker, woman's leader, as, as head of the w- women's ministry. She, you know, God is, is truly blessed. So, so the, the transition is, is just a, a really neat fit, especially since she's already on staff as the head of the women's ministry. But when I, I think of Doug, you know, there's a couple of things I think of. He's, he's an amazing uh, communicator, and uh, he's a man of integrity. In fact, I said to a room full of people a couple of months ago when we were having a meeting with all of the volunteers, there was must about 70 or 80 different volunteers uh, here at the church. And, and I said, when I think of Doug, I think of the scripture that, uh, a man's gift shall make room for him and bring him before great men. And uh, I, sa- I looked at them and I said, you are the great men and women whom God has assembled to come alongside of us and to serve in the ministry because of Doug's gifting. He's, he's, he's gathered together these different teams of ministry that serve here uh, Friday nights and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And... Uh, I said, but, but the reason why you're great is because, because in the kingdom of God, God measures greatness by servanthood. And that's what this church is all about, and that it's of serving. So I want to ask you a question and the, the, as we continue in, in this idea of transition. How many of you uh, have ever been to a Montgomery Ward store? How many of you have ever heard of Montgomery Ward and Company? So... So I, 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 I'm also a part of that. I have never been to a Montgomery Ward store, but I remember hearing about Montgomery Ward as a store. Now, th- that would be my equivalent of saying to, to those of you who are young, and obviously it's we who are older who, who are familiar with Montgomery Ward, uh, that used to be a mega chain of stores years ago. It would be like, it would be like me saying, you know, are you familiar with Best Buy or are you familiar with Lowe's or, or Macy's, you know? Uh, it, it, was, it was a, a name was very popular back in the day. Now, about 50 years ago or so, and maybe even a little bit more than that, the chairman of the board, uh, a man by the name of Avery, uh, was responsible really for the fact that the company did not open up one brand new store from 1941 to 1957. That's that's a total of 16 years. Not one advancement, not one new store was opened up. Instead, the mega retailer hoarded money. They, they, they began saving money, but then they sat on the money. Okay? And uh, here's the reason why. And, and, and this was right after World War II when there was an explosion of growth in the nation. I mean, you know, uh, industry took off. Business took off. I mean, you know... The nation multiplied and spread. So, so, so why didn't Avery join the nation's post-war expansion? And the reason is, is because he was, t- he was tied to the past. 
He had a philosophy and a view that after every significant war from Napoleon on, that there would be a depression. That, that was his point of view. And what he says was, who am I to argue with history? Now, as a result of that, Avery did this. He figured, why build a building that will cost you $14 a foot when it can cost you $3 a foot? That never happened. And as a result of that, that, that one-sided philosophy of being tied to the past was, was detrimental for Warden, that company. Sears, on the other hand, was on the other side of Chicago, and they had a different philosophy, and this was their philosophy. They began to expand into the suburbs, and as a result of that, from 1946, they began to grow. Sears never looked back, and Ward never caught up. The fact is, is that Montgomery Ward, as a company, went out of business and went bankrupt. Now, how could you explain this corporate, you know, misfiguring. And, and here's the fact. It was the stubbornness of this guy by the name of Avery, who was the chairman of the board, who was, who was tied to the past and was unwilling to change. Avery misread the cultural waves. Consequently, the business was wiped out. Now, let me, let me say this, that not only for business executives, but also for Christian leaders, we've got to be able to discern the signs of the times. We've got to be able to discern the cultural changes that are among us. And, and here, here, here's some real irony. Sears and company is now itself in danger of going the way of Montgomery Ward because of the very same mistakes. An, Alan, an, an analyst, excuse me, has, has said one of the reasons, and in the last couple of years, uh, there's been very little profits in Sears. And as a result of that, they have planned to, to close over the last couple of years over 100 stores nationwide. Now, here's what an analyst says. He says, says the reason why Sears is, is in danger of not surviving is because they've not invested in remodeling, leaving stores uninviting. They haven't changed, in other words, with the times. So the lesson to be learned is not only in the ability to read the signs of the times and the waves and the changes in culture, but it's not a one-time adjustment. It's an ongoing process. And that is so important for us to know. Some churches that were on the cutting edge back in the 70s and the 80s and are still singing the same tired choruses of the 70s, they may have introduced Jesus' music to the nation, but they're singing the same choruses and, and they're doing they're doing church the, the old school way. And as a result of that, many of them are becoming irrelevant. You see, Jesus in his message is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in a changing world, we've, we've got to change the, the way in which we present the gospel. The gospel is the same. The message is the same. But the model sometimes changes. That's why, that's why 20 years ago, we wouldn't have those lights. But now they're a part of our culture and they're a part of attracting a generation to, to, to receive the, the gospel message and to be attracted. The, the, the reason why some of those churches aren't growing is because they're doing, they're doing church the old school way and it's causing a, a generation to roll their eyes instead of lift up their eyes to heaven and discover that Jesus 
is indeed able to meet the needs of every human heart. Even the Apostle Paul, back in his day, had an understanding that you need to change with the culture. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So Paul understood the need for cultural change. Now, for a number of years, I believe that we've been on the cutting edge, being sensitive to both insiders to feed them the the message of Christ, but but also being sensitive and trying to attract outsiders as well by by creating environments that attract a a new generation. That's a strategy. That doesn't just happen. It's purposeful. I like what uh, A.W. Tozer said, and, and, and Brendan prayed this this morning about God not changing. He said this. He says, God is immutable which means that he never changed and can never change in the smallest measure. To change, he would need to go from better to worse or from worse to better. He cannot do either. For being perfect, he cannot become more perfect. And if he were to become less perfect, he would be less than God. And that's just not going to happen. So what does that mean for us who are flawed and way less than perfect. It means that the relationship that we're going to have with God is going to be one of change. It's we're the ones who are going to be doing the change. In fact, every, every genuine encounter with God involves a transformational change. We're being changed from, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and from strength to strength, and from the image of what we once were to the image of the Son of God. So change is a very much a part of, of what we're all about. And one of the most important things that we need to be when, when God wants to bring about change in us is to be flexible and to be pliable and to be malleable in the hand of the potter. In our culture, youth is idolized. I mean, you, you know that, right? I mean, in our culture, youth is idolized while age is diminished and, and, and not esteemed very well, except, except for in places like this where there is both young and old together, working together, worshiping together, in a way of there's mutual love and respect for both young and old. Now, let me just say, say this, because I'm not as young as I used to be, but there are advantages to getting older. They really are. Let me, let me share a couple with you. Number one, in a hostage situation, you're more likely to be released first. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember it either. Your health insurance finally starts to pay off. When you're older, you no longer think about speed limits as being annoying. When you're older, the things that you buy, they won't wear out. And there's nothing left that's hard to be learned because you've learned it all. And people no longer view you as being a hypochondriac. Think about that one for a minute. In his book, He Still Moves Stones, Max Licato has a list of prominent people who accomplished more uh, in their senior years, if you will, than they did in their prime. And, I, and when, I, when I saw the title of that chapter, the first person I thought of was, was Colonel Sanders. You know, KFC? 
Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, the, you know, well, you may laugh, and maybe, you, you know, you're too good to go there, but a lot of people do go there. In fact, they are the second largest restaurant chain in the world. 118 countries. In 100, they've got 19 different restaurants, 19,000, excuse me, restaurants around the world. And he started that when he was in his late 60s. So it is hope for everybody. He also writes about uh, a fellow by the name of Omar Amon, who designed, I never heard of this guy, he designed the Connecticut and New Jersey Turnpike, the Dulles Airport, the Throgsneck, and the Verrazano Bridge after he retired. Whoa, right? Winston Churchill won the Nobel Prize for Literature when he was 79 years of age. Heinrich Schellemann retired from business to look for Homer's legendary city of Troy, and he found it. Where is it anyway? I don't know. But finally, he cites J.C. Penney, who at the age of 95 said this great statement. He said, my eyesight might be getting weaker, but my vision is increasing. My eyesight may be getting weaker, but my vision is increasing. Application is as we get older, our vision should be our spiritual vision, not our natural vision, but our spiritual vision should become sharper. As we bring, as we bring our future into focus. You know what that means for us? It means in the message I preached not that long ago, one of the most important points that I brought out in that message was, was the urgency. That there is a, a sense of urgency for each and every one of us, not just when we're in our prime, but, but all through life. Whatever we are called to do, we must do it with all of our might. We must work while it is yet day for the night comes, Jesus said, when no man can work. And, and what that means is that, is that as we approach all of life, not just the prime of life, that we need to act with that sense of urgency because days pass and years pass and life fades and, and we die. And what comes into view is that heavenly city and before you realize it, you know, we'll be, we'll be there. Age is not an enemy. Age is a distance marker. It's a gentle reminder that we're closer to home than we realize. So I need, to put, I need to put this transition into a biblical context because that's what I'm about. I'm about the Word of God. So, so let, let, me, let me share a couple of things I thought of. When, you know, the Bible talks about transitions in a couple of places. Uh, I think about, for, for Doug's sake, for, I think about Joshua is a great, is, 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 is a great introduction for, for Doug. I mean, because Joshua was to lead the children of Israel into the promised land and, 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 and had new, new, new victories and had new challenges. And Doug, you will have new challenges and you, you will have new victories. But then I read over in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people get ready and go across. The... I, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> you know, so, so I, wasn't it a great, great idea? It doesn't work for me. So, so, so I got to think about something else. And I thought, about, I thought about Elijah and Elisha. Now listen, if you've ever preached about Elijah and Elijah, you know that you've always messed up calling one Elisha and one Elijah at different times, right? Uh, so, so, so Elisha is the younger of the two, 
he, he was the apprentice, right? And Elisha prays that his mentor, Elijah, he prays that he would have a double portion, that, that he, would, he would be able to do twice as many miracles and, and see twice as much of, of God move in the nation. And that's a good thing. And, and, and my prayer for Doug is that he would indeed have way more than even twice as much of whatever we've been able to accomplish in 35 years. But, but then again, I, when I think about the transition, I read how that Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire by, a, by an angel drawing a, a chariot. And, and while that sounds like a great way to go, I am not ready. I told you I'm not leaving. You know, I am not retiring. Get that out of your mind. I am just moving into another role. And so, and so while that may be a great way to go, I'm not going unless I'm going with my wife. Okay, and so there was no, it wasn't room in the chariot for two, it was just the room for one. So we're going to have to skip on that. So what, what is the best biblical example of a transition that I wanted to share with you? And, and, and uh, knowing, that, knowing that change isn't easy. Uh, th- th- there may be some of you who will say to me, Pastor, I just wish you could lead a little bit longer. And, and there may be some saying to Doug, Doug, I, I wish you would have been leading sooner. And, you know, by the way, we're not going to entertain that either way because we do have each other's back and, and we're submitting to what we believe is to be the sovereign plan of God. But change isn't easy, especially when you've, you know, you've seen God birth this ministry from the very beginning, from nothing to, to what it is today. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, is that everything that God has given to me, people as well as possessions, are to be held with an open hand because they're not mine anyway. I'm just a steward of them. And so to learn how to, to not be controlling and to, and to relinquish that control is probably one of the most important disciplines I've ever learned in my life. So for the next few minutes, let me talk to you about Samuel because Samuel had a transition from being the last judge of Israel, being the last leader in that sense, giving way to the foundation uh, of the kings of Israel. And uh, I've got some things in common with with Samuel, Uh, a praying mother. Uh, In fact, fact, my story literally is uh, that I was prayed into existence just as Hannah prayed for, uh, for Samuel to be born. She was without child. And she prayed that if the Lord would give her a son, that she would devote that son to the service of God. Well, my, my, my mother and father had three beautiful daughters, but no, no son. In that 10-year period between my last sister and me, my mother, was, my mother began praying for a son. And... Uh, Obviously, uh, God answered her prayer, and uh, I've got to believe that I was a part of God's sovereign purpose, uh, because one of the things that she did in her prayer was the same as Hannah, and what she said was, God, if you will give me a son, I will devote him to your service. And what is so amazing is that, unlike Samuel, I was pulled out of darkness and called into the ministry, and I had a past that was filled with darkness. But God graciously fulfilled that, not only in in giving me life in that I was born initially, but by 
but the greatest miracle was the, was the new birth, the second birth. And then, and then God graciously answered my mother's prayer, not only in giving her a son, but my, but my mother saw that prayer of devoting her son to the service of God. For the first two years of this ministry, mom sat on the first row every service. And so she saw her own prayer of devotion being answered, and uh, I am so grateful for, for that. One of the things that helped me uh, was this uh, little book. I don't know where it came from. I, I know I didn't buy it. I just I found it uh, in my office one day and started reading through it. It's called, it's called The Disciplines of Life, and, and it's got about a couple of dozen different of our uh, disciplines as disciples of Christ that we're to go through. I want to just read one uh, paragraph that uh, kind of uh, says, it is wise for me to plan. It is wise for me to plan my decreasing responsibilities after 35 years of ministry. It is wise for me to make plans for decreasing responsibility. And, and here, here's the paragraph that uh, I wanted to share with you. He says, there are those who will not admit to themselves or others that there are time or that they have passed the period of their effectiveness in service. And with a hard hand and a harsh voice, they insist upon their place and their position which long since has ceased to fill. They can be a grief to themselves and an aggravation to others. Instead of facing the facts squarely and sweetly, they could be a blessing to all. Now, I, I, I don't think I've passed my point of usefulness or effectiveness, and that's why I'm still going to be here, and, and I will still speak, and I will still do other things. But I also know of others who, who are stubborn in their, in their persistence to stay where they should have moved on from. And, and it has caused grief for the kingdom of God. I don't ever want to do that. So it is wise for me to plan for decreasing responsibilities. So for 30 years, Samuel willingly and patiently carried the burden of the leadership of Israel. He did so faithfully. He did so unselfishly. I'll let others judge as to how I have served. But, but a great blessing to me and Kathy, having, having come into the kingdom of God during a move of what was called the charismatic renewal back in the 70s, having, having, having seen so many people in that period of time, especially on Long Island, come out of nominal churches, ch churches with, with the name of Jesus only, and, and, and see so many churches start up, and to see that we have persevered through 35 years, some difficult times, some really great times. Uh, but to see now that God is doing such a wonderful thing here in this house, and it, and it, and it really... I've got to point to Doug because it started at the green room uh, with gathering, you know, lots of teenagers and, and the work that's continuing uh, to be done at the green room. And then what Doug is doing on Sunday nights, if you've ever been here on a Sunday night, you know, this place is packed out with, with hundreds, uh, uh, at least 150 or more uh, young people uh, every, every Sunday night. 
And, and, and that's a result of uh, what God is doing uh, in a sovereign way. You can only credit that to the sovereign move of God. Now, I do differ from Samuel uh, in one particular way. Uh, and it's an important way because, because Samuel's sons did not serve the Lord, nor did they know the Lord. And, and I'm so grateful that, that not only my daughter and my two sons served the Lord, and you know that Will's a pastor now in Chicago, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and even my grandkids are serving the Lord. Uh, if you've ever seen Noah play the bass or play the drums or play the keyboard or play the guitar, uh, my son Will said, you know, when he was here when, and Noah was playing, he said, he said, Dad, he says, Noah just blew me away because of his musical giftedness. That, that, that's a gift that comes from God. And, and Emma, I just love her so much. She's so good with the kids that she serves in the nursery. And, and so I, I, I'm blessed to see my kids. I mean, this, it's, you know, you got to know that it's one of the most important things is when your own children are serving the Lord faithfully. But it was not in God's timing for, for the nation to have a king. And so there was an appointment of Saul until, until the man after God's own heart came forward. And that would have been David. And David, as flawed as he was, because I tell you what, there's only one person who's worthy of the title King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and that's the Lord Jesus. So let me just read a couple of verses for you that applies, I believe, to where we're going as far as Samuel and, 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 and me. So 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20 says, in, in spite of the fact that, that Israel w- w- was, was not going about this in the right way, th- this is his admonition. He says, but serve the Lord your God with all your heart, Do not turn aside after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. And for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. I mean, I think, D.B., you said it well this morning in closing prayer of our worship team this morning that we've been saved by grace. Do, do you realize that to, to belong to the Lord, to, to be called into the kingdom of God and to be one of his, to know that you've been, you've, you've been bought with a price is, is incredible. It is, could we ever get over the, the, the amazing grace of God? And then Samuel said this, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that you should go and what is right, or the way that is good and right. But to be sure that the, to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, consider what great things God has done for you. And I'd say, living word, consider what great things God has done for us. Samuel continued to pray for and to preach, or to teach rather, uh, the word of God. And he gathered together a, a, a group of young men around him and he taught them the scriptures. And that, and that is what became known as the school of the prophets. But, 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 but who could measure the importance of prayer? In fact, in Psalm 99 verse 6, it speaks about the intercession of Samuel way after Samuel had, had gone to be with the Lord. And, and, and who knows, but the 
freedom of, of no longer being encumbered by the leadership of the, the nation, that, that Samuel was now free to pray for the new king and for the, for the difficult days that were ahead of them. So there's probably no more important ministry in the church than to pray and to raise up future leaders. There's a story about a, uh, a woman uh, some years ago who applied to a college. And in her application, when she came to the point where it says, are you a leader? She says, oh, no. She, she, she being conscientious and being absolutely honest, filled in that application and said no. And she figured, she figured it wasn't going to go well for her, that her application wasn't going to be accepted. And, and she got this response back from the university. It, it read this, Dear applicant, a study of the application's forms revealed that, that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting your application because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. The world is filled with leaders. Everybody wants to lead. But you and I have been called into the kingdom of God to become first and foremost followers of Christ. And the best leaders are those who follow the Lord as closely as possible. The greatest leaders are those who have proven themselves. I tell you what, there's there's probably nothing Kathy and I look forward to more, hopefully, that one day that Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We know that Doug and Kelly will lead Living Word into the future deeper and better than ever before. If you've ever traveled overseas, if you've ever been a long way from home, you know how hard it is so, to sometimes, you know, uh, kind of uh, navigate the different time zones. You know, it's like, it's like when, when you're away. I could have I used a smartphone when I was in Romania some years ago because it's hard to try to figure out if I call home now, am I going to wake everybody up? You know, if, if I call into the office now, is, is everybody going to be gone? You know, in my plans to, to, to get back home, am I, going to, am I going to arrive during, you know, rush hour? You know, so, so, so having a smartphone that you can just simply look at and it will tell you what time it is back home helps you to get rooted and grounded in what's happening at home while you're in another time zone. The reason why I bring that up is because we, as believers, followers of Christ, we are living in two time zones. We live in the here and now, but we also live in the there and then of living in eternity. In fact, one of the things that we're supposed to be doing is storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're supposed to be setting our affections on things above where Christ is, is seated, where we're seated together in heavenly places with Christ. So, so, so that two time zones is important. And, 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 when you, and when you look at that smartphone and it gives you that indication, you, you know what? You know what it does? In the natural, it, 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 also, so it, it, it tells you, yeah, that's what my wife is doing right now. At this hour. But it, but it also gives us an indication that while we live in these two time zones, many of the little things that we decide to do have such an eternal ramification. I think I shared that last week with a quote from C.S. Lewis about the small things that we do have an eternal impact. And that is so true. We live both now and in 
the future and in the unseen world that is to come. So the next time you glance at your smartphone, remember that you live in two dimensions. The world that's now, but also the world which is to come. So here's my bottom line this morning. The transition is a good thing because God is sovereign over all things. The transition is a good thing because God is sovereign over all things. Here's my admonition. Keep your eyes on the Lord of the church. Jesus is the wise master builder of the church. The mission continues the same. It's the presence of God that that distinguishes us, not human personalities. So, let me just share with you one more, one more thought before I close. One of the core values that we have here in the church and that mission will continue is that Jesus be made much of in all that we do and all that we sing and all that we say that we would make much of Jesus. But I, I want to just say this to uh, the most important person in my life. I want to say Kathy. Thank you for 35 years of of working alongside me. I got three more weeks. Will you be here the next three weeks? All right. Guaranteed she'll be here next three weeks. I got three more weeks to be the lead pastor of this church. And then I'm I'm executive pastor. I'm not going anywhere. Just, just, you know, just calm, calm down your nerves, you know, chill out. I'll be around and I'll be speaking, but just not as often. But I want to say, Kathy, thank you so much for your love and support. Don't cry. Baby, don't cry. You've been such a great wife. It's not easy to be a pastor's wife. There's a lot of demands people even unknowingly put upon a pastor's wife. And you've served, you've served me so well, and you've served your children and your great-grandmother. And by the way, we're going to have another grandchild. I can no longer say it, 10. It's now going to be 11. Uh, Will and Carrie are expecting their baby. Every time they move from one city to another, she gets pregnant. I don't know what it is. So that's cool. But honey, thank you. And I want to just say to you, sweetheart, the best is yet to come. There's a song we're going to sing in a few minutes. The uh, worship team is going to lead us. And uh, I love some of the lyrics. Normally I ask you to to stand with us. But but this morning I'm going to ask you to just please remain seated and just... Just let, just absorb the words of this song. In his everlasting arms, all the pieces of our lives from beginning to the end, I can trust you. In your never failing love, your work, everything for good, God, whatever comes my way, I can trust you. And then here's this little devotional book that I just wanted to read the last, uh, the last paragraph of, of this chapter on uh, the importance of the discipline of, of accepting diminishing days. He, he, he says this, the discipline of declining days that comes when days wane and strength subsides, when doors are closed and comforters depart, when others bear the heat and the burden of the day, then to grow old gracefully and sweetly to grant responsibilities to stronger, though less experienced hands of our sons and those of others, to adapt oneself to the demands of a new day, and above all, to pray for others 
and to serve the Lord in whatever hidden ministry may be ours. Thus, disciplined in spirit, we are sweetness and strength to those who need us the most. Just think of me as sweetness and strength. For those of you who need me the most, (laughs) let's pray. Father, thank you so much this morning for not just today, but, but for all these days, for all these, all these Sundays and all these weekdays in which we've served you these many years. And I, I, I am eternally grateful, Father, for the privilege that you counted me faithful and put me in this place. And now, Father, I, I do pray, Lord God, for, for the congregation that we'll all be on the same page, that we all understand that this is the sovereign of God that we're submitting to. Change is not necessarily easy, but it's, it's going to be good. We, we discern the, the signs of the times and the cultural waves, and so we're just going with the flow, God, of what you want to do. And so we know that you're going to bless this place. You're going to continue to bless Kathy and I's ministry. And so we just give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.